Welcome to the Mission Driven Podcast, a show designed to empower, educate, and encourage you to stay focused and committed to your mission. I'm your host, AC Cristales. Let's get ready to roll. Thank you so much for joining me on Mission Driven with AC Cristales. For today's episode, I have a special guest. In fact, she was my first guest, and I'm glad to have her back in the house. So I guess she has moved into family status. So <laughs> without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce to you all Rachel Brown. How's it going? Good. Glad to be back. Glad, glad to, to be, be back. part of the, the La Familia. Yeah, part of <laughs> See, she even got that Spanish going, you know, La Familia. Yeah, for sure. So obviously, you know, um, we last talked with it was in like September, September you know obviously October. we yeah. talked on you know the podcast obviously we've we've connected you know ever since you know then but uh yeah a lot has changed gosh a lot has changed 2020 imagine that 2020 you know and you know just school changed and the world changed and society's changing and everything that's going on so that's really for you all who are listening to this podcast right now I know it's been a couple of weeks since I've been on a podcast and done one uh but today's um discussion you know, we just want to talk about just the race, you know, issues going on in, in, you know, the United States and really in the world and how we as educators can do our part because we are leaders, you know, and, and although we don't have the, I would say the political power, you know, like we don't have the, the end all that makes the rules and, and regulations, we still can make an impact in our community, in our classrooms, in our schools. And so um, I have this great educator, like I said, Rachel Brown with me, who's a, you know, a leader at her school she does staff development so she's out there in the trenches doing doing the work for the kids and so just want to just talk and how we can um like i said as educators just provide help for our students because whenever we go back and we don't even know how that's going to look in the 2020 2021 school year it's going to be a lot different and especially with social media now we know that our students are not oblivious to what's going on in society. So not only are we going through a pandemic, we're dealing with the, just the racial injustices that I can say it's not like it's nothing new, you know, it's just more out there now. And so, like I said, that's what we want to talk about. And so I'm going to go ahead and let just let Rachel just, you know, get us started and, and kind of discuss because yesterday she was actually, you know, virtual town hall, you know, talking about race. And so I want to just hear her experiences and we'll go from there. So this is really nothing like where it's formal, formal questions like the first interview. This time we're just going to go and we're going to hope that the knowledge and the wisdom that we share with you guys will be impactful and help helpful on your journey as an educator, as a parent, as a community member. All right. So go ahead and get started. Let us yeah. know about yesterday. How was that? So it was good. Well, let me let me just say, first off, you know, from October, the last time that we recorded to now, um, I have said, you know, in this pandemic that educators um, we have needed to be included in that essential workforce. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, even though we weren't mandated to go out, we still had a job um, and our job changed drastically when we got shut down. And so um, we have teachers specifically have been that essential worker moving into this race work and equity work, um, diversity and inclusion work, whatever you want to call it, um, the getting better um, together for our our students of color work, um, we are also going to be essential. And so making sure that we, that we are in the forefront of this discussion for our kids, for our colleagues, um, for each other is hugely important for me. Um, and so, yeah, so, um, two of our African-American, um, or two educational organizations, one is African-American Alliance of uh, Black School Educators, the other one being, um, the Garland Alliance of, um, Latino, um, administrators okay. came together yesterday for a town hall meeting, um, that was virtual. And I was, I was honored to, to be asked to be part of the panel discussion and um you know just to make my voice heard along with these other great educators was phenomenal but um what we started out talking about were some experiences um that we had had um specifically around implicit bias um as leaders and teachers and a student there was a student mm -hmm. included on oh, the panel good. also which was phenomenal yeah. um you know getting our experiences out there is one piece of it so that people can really see um, what it looks like from our lens, you know, because um, mm -hmm. it has been, you know, a tale of two worlds, yeah. kind of, sort of, you know, sure. for people of color, especially in leadership roles and um, and, and and those not, you know, mm -hmm. the white Americans who haven't had that experience. But we moved past that because that's one thing is um, getting the information out there. But the second piece was what action steps 
Definitely. Um, do we recommend mm-hmm. um, this on um, this action step? Some of the voices of our white educators that were there were included also okay. because, of course, um, they're an important piece yeah. to this. Um, so action steps, um, specific in, um, conversations with questions that we asked, questions that we posed, questions that we're trying to answer um, and moving forward. Um, was the second piece of it. Um, the other group of people that were included in this conversation that were extremely important are elected officials. So there were several okay. elected officials that were part of it on the local level. Um, because like you said, in our classroom, so to speak, we don't affect the policy as it's written. Yep. But we have seen and we and we see now that by vocalizing what's going on and what we want, we and talking with those policymakers, um, that we can really affect a lot of things um, and and start trying to kind of close the gap like I used the example yesterday you know the teacher or the administrator on the campus level you have um, control over your programs you have control over how you discipline your kids mm-hmm. how you talk to your kids policymakers are making the overarching policies that then kind of you know color what we're doing at the local level if we can get those two to kind of come together mm-hmm. then we can make some really good changes for kids exactly um, for you know these outcomes um with these students so definitely so mm-hmm. i think what the main purpose with that is just awareness right so we mm-hmm. talk about cultural competency it's one of the things that i discussed last week i was doing the training for um for region 15 out in san angelo and we talked about that you know cultural competency and what does that mean it means being culturally aware right understanding that you're aware of your culture you're aware of your norms your beliefs your biases your stereotypes all that right because that's that's part of of how you've been raised but you're also culturally sensitive and in that regards you you're understanding and you have knowledge that maybe the student in your classroom or maybe the individual who's next to you at the supermarket or wherever is not like you so you take that awareness, you take that knowledge, and then there has to be some sensitivity there. And that's what it means to be culturally competent. But it all starts with awareness. And so that's what it seems like these talks, you know, um, have been doing. Right. And so one of the I have to say this. Right. So I was kind of debating, um, not debating whether to do this podcast. I want to do this podcast, but I also know there's so much information on there. Right. And so it's kind of like sometimes I think, well, what else am I going to add to it? Right. Um, but I'm glad I did. it. I actually have a buddy of mine who who lives out in in Idaho, he does work out there at the at the university in Idaho, working wow. with like college enrollment and stuff. And so he was like, "Man, he's like, I love your podcast. He's like, you should do something on you know race." And I was like, "All right, you know what?" So you know that kind of gave me the, the confidence to go ahead and and do something. And not that I don't work on that because I'm as soon as I was like, "All right, you know what? I'm gonna get I'm gonna get Rachel on this. We can talk." Because I want not only do I want um, your perspective as an African American, I want your perspective as a as a female as well, right? Because in sociology, there's you know they talk about you know, conflict theory. So let me just real quick talk about conflict theory. So in conflict theory, it says traditionally what you have, you have your, your proletariats and your bourgeoisie, right? And so these big words. So anyways, all it means is that you have the people who are in power and the people who are disenfranchised and not in power. And so traditionally in the United States, and this is what I tell my students, traditionally in the United States, the race in power has been white Americans. The, the gender in power has been males, right? And so when you look at that, you already have two strikes, right? Because you're a yeah. woman and you're African-American. And so that's why I wanted you on here. But it, it, it's good. You know, so that's what we're going to talk about. You know, again, um, the awareness and being aware and what we can do because we can do something. So let me let me start off by just saying this. I sent you this, you know, as we were preparing for this podcast. But what do you think? Why do you think or what do you believe is a hard part of talking about race or racism? Wow. So it kind of goes back to when you were talking about um, that cultural competency, right? Um, And I mentioned a few minutes ago about living in two different worlds. Traditionally, the people not in power, black, brown people and the women. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm well, and actually, I'm just going to speak from from color right now, from race right now. Black and brown people have taken it upon ourselves to understand um, the culture of the dominant race, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that for me personally, it was a survival mechanism, mm-hmm. which, you know, way back, you know, Jim Crow, Reconstruction, slavery, um, assimilating into the major culture exactly. was a survival tactic mm-hmm. for black people, specifically in America. Mm-hmm. If you looked closer to being white, if you acted closer to being white, acted closer mm-hmm. in air quotes to being white, <laughs> if you got educated as closely as possible with white folks, mm-hmm. you 
could be accepted and that equaled survival. Yeah. Okay. Like we were talking life and death yeah. back then, you for know, sure, sure. not so much for me, but I'm an African American woman. Like mm-hmm. I am descended from slaves and slave masters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been ingrained in my hair, my, my culture, my, you know, my learning, whether it was conscious or unconscious. Right. So for me, that cultural competency piece was me always knowing what the majority culture was, the mm-hmm. dominant culture, mm-hmm. and also understanding where I came from, yeah. but understanding where I came from in terms of protecting myself and my family um, so that I could survive. Yeah. If that makes sense. And that's more of in a professional sense. Um, and so now coming into it, I feel like I've gotten like a little bit of a new awakening um, because enough is enough. Yeah. Um, we've been trying to, in our own way, deal with this thing, make it better. But I was trying to do it in a silo. Mm-hmm. Cannot happen in a silo. No matter how much I know, how much I work to be part of that dominant culture, there was always something there um, that didn't let me fully get into that dominant culture. There was always somebody questioning. I mentioned yeah. this last night, questioning my decisions as an administrator. There was always a teacher I had a situation, I think I talked about this before, in seventh grade, my seventh grade English teacher said he wasn't going to recommend me. No, that's I mean, right. my yeah, eighth you grade. Did. You did. Yeah, my yeah, eighth grade did. English teacher said he wasn't going to recommend me mm. for Spanish and honors English because yeah. he didn't think I could handle it. Now, did he say it was because I was black? No. no. <laughs> yeah. But it was there, you know? And so um, now getting all of those experiences out, taking those experiences, but also trying to educate mm-hmm. um, the dominant culture a little bit about our, our experiences so that they can then start working on their end to make, you know, to bridge that gap is kind of my, it, it, it's kind of my focus yeah. now. Like I need to be more vocal about it. For sure. Um, I've always been in this work, but I haven't been as vocal about it. Um, I haven't been um, as connected as I, as I wanted to be um, to, you know, uh, black and brown leaders um, because I was like, hey, I need to work in this sector, in this area in order to be successful. It's not where it's at. Yeah. I will say, though, something that has benefited me from working with, prim- uh, you know, in predominantly white um, education, you know, uh, campuses and districts and growing up in a predominantly white um, mm-hmm. district. and gr- I have some skills and knowledge of both sides. Yeah that I think now will help. So one of the things we talked about last night too is making sure that when you're in that room, whatever the makeup of that room is, that you know your stuff. Okay. Um, this goes to teachers too. Yeah. One of the you know things about finding a great teacher is you want them to be strong in their content knowledge, mm-hmm. right? You want your leaders to understand policy. You want your leaders to understand the you know educational laws. And um, you also want them to understand cultural competencies yeah, yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. And so... That's what I would definitely say for us is to continue to learn. Be the strongest that you can be in your knowledge base so that when things start to happen, you are not only um, well-equipped intellectually to address that, you don't let the emotions take over. Okay. Um, And that sometimes has been, um, you know, the hard thing about, you know, black woman, you know, that angry black woman, (laughs) like when something comes up, you, you, I, and I'm yeah. speaking, I, you, you tend to get angry yeah. about it. Um, and you're like, why aren't they hearing me? Mm-hmm. So then when you're trying to get them to hear you, then all they're hearing is the angry, the angry part of it. Yeah. Um, so I've learned, and you know, a lot of times some of my, you know, my feedback has always been, you're even killed. You, you know, you don't let things get, get to you that I've trained myself yeah. to do that because yeah. I, I got more from coming at people with facts and knowledge Mm -hmm. um, than with that emotion. Now, um, I will also say that those emotions have to be part of the of the equation Mm -hmm. because people have to understand where those emotions come from. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, historically speaking, um, anytime we have tried and, you know, you've seen this argument on social media. Well, you didn't want a silent protest. Yeah. And now you have a real protest where things are getting burnt down or people are, you know, yelling and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And neither one of those is okay. No, those are both okay. Exactly. um, In terms of trying to get to get us heard, but we also have to then come back and be ready to work, and we have Mm -hmm. to have people in places um, that can get that work done. Yeah, I like I like that part what you just said here. You know, so yeah, you know, you can protest and, and do that and. But at the end of the day, you know, what are you going to do? It's going to mm-hmm. make a difference. You know, I was actually talking to to our, to our buddy, you know, uh, 
Officer Carter. Yes. You know, who, yeah, we were having this conversation <laughs> because, you know, I'm sure it's got to be tough for him because he's a police officer. So he's on that end, you know, but he's also an African-American man. You know what I'm saying? So but we were talking about well, I specifically told him, like, you know what? I, I get people posting stuff on social media. I understand that. But at the end of the day, the biggest change is in what you do in your day to day interactions with people. Yep. So for the teachers out there. You know, it's all cute and dandy putting all these, you know, posts and stuff. But at the end of the day, what's going to be important is how you deal with that African-American kid, you know, when he comes back or he she comes back in September or October or whenever we go back or the Hispanic kid <laughs> yeah. who gets on your nerves, who's working your nerves, who's not listening, who doesn't have what you have. Rachel, you talked about you, you trained yourself. Right. And that came with, with your with the parenting that you had that came with the type of schools that you were in a lot of the students that we deal with, you know, we're this, what low income schools, right? 90%, yeah. you know, free or reduced lunch and all that. And so they don't have those skills, you know? And so that's called cultural capital, right? That's the, right. the skills needed to be successful in this society. So, you know, the way you talk, the way you dress, all that. And I get, you know, sometimes people are like, well, does it mean I'm fake? No, it doesn't mean you're fake. It's just, you understand what needs to be done in order to survive. So you want to be successful in corporate America. Well, you have to dress a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. There's a certain level of education that you have to achieve. Now, you want to be successful in the streets? Okay, there's a certain knowledge that you need for that. And so I think it's so, you know, internally reflecting that's going to benefit you when our kids, our babies, right? How we have all these, you know, nicknames we have for our kids, right? Our students come back in the fall, you know? And so another thing I wanted to touch on that you, that you talked about at the beginning, the implicit bias, mm-hmm. right? That, that okay, well, am I doing it? I'm doing it, but am I really doing it? And so yeah. that kind of goes with, you, with, with your eighth grade, eighth grade teacher, right? You know, it's kind of like, well, I don't really think you can do it. Well, why? why? Because he had that <laughs> implicit bias, mm-hmm. right? So talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit more about that, about how, you know, teachers can, can combat that. Because oh. I think it's important for them to, to combat that, for them to realize, man, is there a bias that I have? Yeah. You know? I know I say I love black people and it's on my Facebook, you know, black lives matter. I got the shirt. Hashtag. You know, how can, how can I really say that, 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 you know, so yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So for me, the first part, and you touched on it a little bit too, is really talking to people. Um, really. And we touched on it again last night. I've touched on it with other conversations that I've had. You know, we all had conversations with our friends and educators, vulnerability, is going to be huge during this conversation for, sure. for both groups of people, mm-hmm. the oppressed group and the dominant group, um, because we're all putting ourselves out there. Um, and so having a teacher who was willing to be vulnerable, stop and think about things, again, kind of work on those emotions. Those emotions are going to be there. We know that they're going to be there, but working through those before you, and I'm speaking from a teacher perspective, Mm -hmm. um, before you put that kid out, before you (laughs) write that referral that has some of this language in it that we all know what it means. Um, before you even address the kid, Mm -hmm. um, in that, in that classroom thinking about, okay, Johnny has been doing this. Have I talked to Johnny about what is behind all of this behavior? Because yeah. we know that there's trauma. We know mm-hmm. that all of that stuff plays a part. There's always a root cause. Always, always, always. always. Um, and then based on that knowledge that the teacher has of Johnny, um, then can I make the best decision? Mm-hmm. Okay. And is that decision really, really based on what Johnny, who is the 12 year old seventh grade child in front of me, needs? Or is it based on what is making me comfortable oh, as like that? that 30 year old, possibly white female teacher, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but that comes from conversations, conversations with Johnny, Mm -hmm. conversations with Johnny's family. Okay. Which may not be a mom and a dad. It may be a grandmother or aunt, uncle, a former, you know, um, sibling conversations with your administration, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, we've talked about too, making sure that you have administration that's culturally competent (laughs) to have these conversations, (laughs) um, too. Though those are some some steps that need to be done before Johnny has the behavior yeah. in your class. Yeah. Um, as soon as you get that roster, looking at all of your kids, look at the demographics. Okay, um, we need to see you know the brownness of our children, yeah. or you know that kind of thing. That this colorblind 
thing needs to go away. Yeah, yeah. You have to see them, you know, in, yeah. in terms of who they are. But then taking it a step further, mm-hmm. um, doing some research, reaching out as soon as possible. Not, and this is one of those implicit biases that that I know that you and I have both heard. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my schools that I used to work at, we did home visits. My the principal there, he actually got a school bus mm-hmm. um to go around in July. Um, so that all the teachers could take a tour of where the kids live, meet, everybody had their stuff on. Hey, I don't know if I'm going to be your teacher yet, but you're coming to middle school. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I have had white educators and even some black educators. I'll be honest with you. I have had educators who are scared to go. Yeah to these different places because is it safe? Am I going to be okay? Is somebody going to try to harm me? That's all about you. And those are, those are valid facts. You don't want to ever put yourself in harm's way, but that shouldn't be the reason that shouldn't stop you from them saying, Hey, Miss Brown or Officer Carter, mm-hmm. um, because I have strong feelings about this whole police being out of schools too, but yeah. we we might get to that. But <laughs> um, hey, Miss Brown or Officer Carter or Officer so and so or counselor so and so. I really want to connect with this with this child. I really think that the best thing for this child would be for me to go to their house and meet their parents. I'm having a hard time getting with them. What do you think the best course of action is? Yeah. Then we can talk about, hey, because some of us who have social um, services backgrounds yeah. and sociology backgrounds yeah. and stuff know how you need to present yourself when you go into um, uh, neighborhoods where it's mostly brown or poor or yeah. whatever mm-hmm. um, so that we can then be a support for that. Hey, don't go by yourself. We go during this time. Yeah. Um, you have on school paraphernalia along yeah. with your ID badge. Um, you try to call beforehand to let them know who you're that you're coming. You know, all of these things yeah. um, that are just good mannered. Like you wouldn't show up at somebody's house in Highland Park without letting them know either. Exactly. Right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, that yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, so having that teacher who's willing to say, I want to do this, but I'm not sure how. Mm-hmm. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big part of it. Yeah. And that's that vulnerability and wanting to ask questions. Um, that helps build that relationship. That's good. I like that so, vulnerability piece because that, mm-hmm. to me, you know, when I think of vulnerability, I think, okay, man, I'm, I'm willing to, I don't know if I want to use expose, but I'm willing to share. I'm really, I'm really, I'm willing to display, right, my this certain area of my life to somebody and not really knowing how they're going to take it. That's vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm willing to, to, you know, show and say, man, I don't really know much about black people or Hispanic people or Asian people or whatever. And like, I didn't grow up that way. Right. I didn't grow up poor. You know, I had mom and dad present in my house. I had, you know, I, I took trips, you know, out of the country and it wasn't to visit my grandma in Mexico. You know, right. I, I took these trips and I have all these experiences and I've been privileged. And and so my vulnerability is like, how can I understand that which I've never you know, been a part of? And But that's where it starts. Yeah. It starts with being open. You know, it starts with saying, you know what? Hey, I don't, I don't understand that. But I'm willing to understand that. Absolutely. Okay. And so I want to share this example. I'm, I'm glad I'm getting a chance to share this example. So um, I actually took it from Avid. Okay. So this is this is in my my activity. But you remember the the <laughs> what's the what's that strand? The cultural strand. Culturally relevant. Culturally oh, relevant. Yeah. That's a, that's an awesome strand, right? Yes. Okay. So let's see if you remember this. So remember, I don't know if they did it in your in your in your strand when you took the strand, but remember when they said they uh, grouped you into like groups of four or five, and you had to write. Uh, stereotypes about uh, black people, yep. white people, and all that, right? Yes. And so, well, I do that with my students. So that's my oh. when I when I have when we because uh, we covered race. That's chapter eleven, and so it's the second to last chapter of the semester. So we've kind of mm-hmm. worked our way up to that, right? Because you mm-hmm. can't start that the first week. You know, you got to build that Absolutely. trust and stuff. <laughs> people be running. Yeah, you got to build that trust, <laughs> and so that's the second to last chapter. You know, in my sociology class, but I I took that activity. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I want to do it. I want to do it with these 18, 19 year old kids, and and so. I did it one semester. I mean, I've done it all semester, but here's the example. I did it one semester and, uh, and it was random, you know, count from one, you know, one, one through five. And, and so every ones go here, all the twos go here, all that. Right. So it was random. Well, it just so happened that the group that was in charge of, you know, writing stereotypes about African-Americans were all white. And I didn't plan it that wow. way because it was a random. Okay. And so I'll never forget this kid. His name's Kingsley Lawson, mm-hmm. Kingsley Lawson, great kid, African-American kid. He was like, Mr. Cristales, 
why are they so quiet over there? Because everybody else is talking, right? Everybody else is talking and sharing because I've created that environment. And, you know, and this is another thing for for educators. You create that environment, that culture where you say, hey, you guys be respectful, be honest. And just because somebody says something about a specific group, that doesn't mean that they believe it. I'm saying, I just want to know what you've heard. And don't be pretending like you haven't heard because let's be honest. Let's have this conversation. But we're going to do it in a respectful manner. And so when you created that culture, once you get to that chapter once you get 10 weeks in you already know that we have a family culture right so nothing's going to be disrespectful and if there is that's when you as an educator as a professional step in and you know calm that situation down but i'm proud to say that in the four years that i've been teaching sociology i've never had anything ugly like that but i did have this this example where that group was quiet and you know what what happened this was so beautiful is that kingsley kingsley stood up the student and said hey guys it's okay Cause I've heard everything, right? And he's like, and, all, and it's all good. And yep. he, and you know what he said? And this is such a powerful teaching moment. Yeah. He said, "If we don't have these conversations, things are never getting better." This is a student. This isn't me. This isn't the so professor. Funny. This is a student saying that. I was like, man, it's one of the best, like, one of the best classroom experiences I've yeah. had. And so, it's important. It's important to have those conversations. Like I said, I think, you know, from the very beginning, you know, obviously you have to create that environment. You just can't go in day one. And how do you feel about this? But I think students will see that, right? They'll see like, man, this person cares, right? He's willing to have this conversation or she's willing to have this conversation or or she sees, you know, because kids notice everything, right? Oh, yeah. So they'll see how you talk to that group of students. They'll see how you talk to the white students. They'll see how you talk to the Latino students. And if they see that, your words aren't matching to your actions, then you lose credibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, we've both seen that. I mean, yeah, yeah we're because me and you are both middle school, like <laughs> hardcore and middle mm-hmm. school kids. If you don't show them, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Good, bad, or <laughs> in between. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that's what I was going to say, you know, with that activity. Yes, I did do it in culturally re- relevant teaching. I did do it at the campus when I was a principal, um, too. And it was always interesting that black folks, Latino people, even homosexual, if you mm-hmm. put them, if yeah, you yeah. put that in there, too, always know what we get called. Like, yeah. we know all the Like you yeah. said, like like Kingsley said, we've heard them all. Yeah, like exactly. We, we've heard it. But white folks, white people generally, there was always something that would end up on, on their sheet that, that, w- that was a surprise to them. Okay. Because number, like I've said before, they just don't hear it as often. I mean, yeah. they may have gotten called some derogatory name, maybe one, yeah. maybe, and maybe not. Yeah. Um, that's just not part of the schema yeah. that they have. So we, again, this is part of me living in those two worlds. We know both sides. Yeah. We know what we get called over here. Yeah. We know what, what people have called them and what, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But the white students in your class that day... They probably knew all of the African American mm-hmm. stereotypes, the mm-hmm. black stereotypes, but they didn't want to offend anybody. Or that's, what it was. that's number one. Yeah. Or they didn't want to be possibly, and I'm using air quotes again, exposed. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> they've heard these things before, yeah. or they had somebody in their family call somebody something, or they, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. The other piece of that is some of your white students might not have actually known that some of the things that they heard were derogatory or stereotypical yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's just how it, how it is. Yeah. So some of them might've truly been struggling yeah. like, well, I don't really, I don't know. Isn't this true? You know yeah, what I'm saying? Exactly. You know, that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, so that, again, that, that's part of that vulnerability. And yeah. I'm glad that Kingsley stood up and was vulnerable. And hopefully that helped the conversation in that group of white students um, and then hopefully it helped the yeah. conversation overall. It did. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where like those, that's the chapter. So my, my last, my last three chapters that I cover social class, mm-hmm. right? Cause that's important. You, you know, mm-hmm. low income, high income, middle class, all that race yep. and then gender and sexuality. So we're hitting the, you know, some of the real topics in society right now, we hit those at the end and, and you create, like I said, I'm, I keep repeating this, but it's so important. You create that environment. So to kind of piggyback off that, that activity, you know, one of the things that, that, that I told the students, I'm like, look, um, because it's funny, you said, you know, what, maybe some of the white students didn't know what they were called or whatever. So I remember, uh, because then I put it on the board. I post it uh-huh. on the board. So they're, they're seated at a table, you know, and they're working in groups and they're coming up with their, their list. And then I'm like, all right, I want you to pick the top 10 that I'm going to put, you know, on the, on the whiteboard or whatever. 
And so for one of the white ones, it was like, eats, eats at Spring Creek Barbecue. Right. And I was like, and I looked at her. I okay. said, I said, girl, I eat at Spring Creek Barbecue, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's great because then it's like, and then I give them this example. I said, you know what's crazy, guys? I said, let's do this. I said, why didn't, because, you know, for, for, for African-Americans, they'll, they'll put sports, athletes, all that mm-hmm. stuff. I said, well, for Asians, why didn't y'all put good at football? And they just kind of look at me. And for white, why didn't, why didn't y'all put R&B? And for blacks, why didn't y'all put place tennis? Yeah. All these things that typically you don't associate with a specific race or ethnicity. I said, because this is ridiculous. What does it mean to be white? What does it mean to be black? What does it mean to be Latino? Right. You know, we're putting each other in boxes. Amen. And that's what I said. We're the ones that are putting each other in boxes because just because you're Latino, you can't play golf or just because you're white. Right. And check this out. This, this what this didn't happen in that specific class. This was in a, oh, <laughs> this was in, a, in another uh, summer. Uh, it was in a summer class. Had this one kid, I can't even remember his name, but he was a white kid, real quiet kid. And uh, he said, he's like, I do R&B music. Yeah. And everybody just kind of looked at him. I'm like, yeah, we know what you're thinking. You're thinking he should have been doing something like country and stuff. And he's like, no, I love R&B. Yeah. Because there, there it is again, you know, our biases, right? We don't associate white, you know, kids, kids. or white yeah. boys with, <laughs> with R&B, even though, you know, John B., right? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> We don't associate that. But yeah, it, it's so important to have those activities, but then follow up and share as an yes. educator your experience. Because I say, guys, are there some truth to this? Mm-hmm. Are there some truth to these stereotypes? You know, because for Hispanics, they put uh, more beer out of a kid's party than Capri Suns. Right. I like, are there some truths to that? Yeah. yeah. But does that mean that's who you are? Mm-hmm. Does that mean that's what you have to do? Does that mean that every single person that I mean, that's, you know, where that stereotype yeah. is. It's not every single person, you know? Um, And so it's funny that you said, you know, that the white kid in your class was like, I like R&B. No, and he did R&B music. I mean, he did it. So he was like in it. Yeah, he was in it, like doing an album and all that. That's greatness. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, in the pandemic, just like everybody, I've been watching more TV um, and I have found some great shows. So one of the shows that I'm currently watching right now is American Soul. Okay. It's on BET. Um, It's basically the story of Soul Train and Don Cornelius. And it's phenomenal. So it's in season two right now. Now, there was a seat. There was an episode that I just watched where there was a scene where Don Cornelius and his like money guy are trying to get advertising from one of the execs at Ford or Chrysler. Who makes Cadillac? Is that who makes Cadillac? Uh, GM. Chry- GM. 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 Okay. Trying to get advertising with this with this high exec, right? That Don Cornelius notices out the window because they're at this man's house that his white children are outside doing the dances that they're doing on Soul Train. Like he can just tell, like they're doing all the different things and, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know if he could hear the music or not, Um, but he sees this man's white children. The white exec says to him, white kids don't watch Soul Train because Cornelius said that. He said, you know, everybody's watching. He's like, you know, he was talking about how black people buy their Cadillacs and da da da. We don't need to advertise because black folks buy our Cadillacs, right? Don Cornelius was like, but you can get so much more by advertising wouldn't it be great to know that you can get more black people and white people he said white kids are watching our show the exec says no they're not and he calls his son in there from outside Mm -hmm. and puts his son on the spot and says you don't watch soul train do you and you can see the look on the on his white child's face Mm -hmm. because yes he did watch soul train and he was outside actually practicing the stuff no dad no wow and so going back to our piece about some of those white students yeah. might have been so just in, overtaken with the possibility that their white family or something might find out that they've held that kind of stuff in. Like, I don't know if your student who was in R&B, yeah. if his family knew yeah, that. Yeah. I don't know if they were supportive. I yeah. mean, it doesn't really matter. But it was also that piece that the dominant culture, which in America has been white, you know, descendant from your European culture has always just downgraded that even white folks can't be part yeah. of it yeah. and have tried to keep, you know, keep them out. But that was just a, that was a powerful scene because mm-hmm. that kid, and like you said, kids, like we need to be, our, our kids are where it's at. Like they're going yeah. to be the ones who save us. That kid was so, um, you know, overtaken by what his dad would have said. Mm-hmm. Had he said, yes, I watched Soul Train. Me and my friends are watching it every day. Um, that he, said, no, dad, yeah. I don't do it. Then when Don Cornelius and them left, the kid went around the back and asked Don Cornelius for his, for his autograph. Oh, really? Where his dad couldn't see him. Oh, okay. Because he was like, <laughs> I love your show. Like, yeah. Can I have your autograph? Yeah. You know? And so 
it's making sure that we're empowering our kids um, to have these conversations with their parents, their family, their teachers who are not um, who are not in the same frame of mind yeah. um, and not being embarrassed yeah, by it, exactly. you know, cause there's, there've been times when I, as an African-American have, you know, liked things that were supposedly not black. Yeah. Um, and you know, I would be lying to you if as a younger person, I didn't say, I didn't talk about it yeah. or I didn't, if somebody asked me, I'd be like, no, I don't listen to so-and-so <laughs> No, and I do. And like now my playlist is, you know, Dolly Parton to, okay, okay. you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Meg the Stallion. Yeah, like yeah. I got everything yeah. in between. But there's there's that piece too, that socialization, that not wanting to be um, ostracized yeah. for yeah. what you what you really like. Yeah. That that's a piece of this too. But you it's know? that it's that versatility. You know? uh, yeah, that's what I tell them. I listen to country. Yeah, yes. I put on some George Strait right now in class. Man. You know, and, and yeah, it, it's it's so it's so great to have these conversations. You know, and it's important. You know. How you said it, it's going to be our kids. You know, they're they're our future. They're really our present. Mm-hmm. But it's all learned. So if they're not so obviously from the example that you gave about that that kid who who liked Soul Train and didn't want to tell his dad. So already he knew in his mind it's been ingrained. Yeah. I shouldn't like anything that has to do with black people. Exactly. So that's ingrained. That's taught. He wasn't he wasn't born that way. Yeah. Right. And so it's so important to have these conversations because that's when you as an educator. And again, I know. You know, this doesn't go with like curriculum and whatever it is that you have to cover for the standards, you know, state standards for uh, assessments and all that. But these are the conversations that are important, because if we don't take care of this, then that's why we're going to have society the way it is. Oh, yeah. That's why people are going to hate each other. That's why people are going to, you know, you know, talk disparagingly about other people, other cultures, because they don't have conversations like this. So it's important for us to teach. I know you, you know, you have you two kids and I'm sure you're teaching them to be respectful of all, you know, of all people, regardless of the color. I'm doing that with my oh, daughter. Yeah. Why? Because it starts with us as parents. Yep. And here's the thing. The reality is if, if you're a teacher out there, educator, principal, leader, whatever, youth worker, and you and you have students or, or, or young people that that look up to you and they don't have parents teaching them, you know, the right way. And what I mean by the right way is just, man, it's just being good. Just being good people, man. Yeah. Good. Just being good to others. If you don't have that, then, hey. That's your part to do what you can. You know, we, we can only do so much sometimes because, you know, obviously, you know, parental influence and family influence plays a big role. But, man, when we have them for those eight hours, it's so important that they we lead by example. We lead with our actions, you know, and because, yeah, I don't care if you're white, black, Hispanic. And then I'm not saying because I like what you said. And I'm not saying I don't see that. I know that. Yeah. I understand that. But regardless, I still love you. man. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and so when you, when you think about that, I remember. Let me give you this quick example. So when I was in, when I was, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a Garland ISD, you know, product. Right. And, uh, when I remember my eighth grade year, I went to Austin Academy mm-hmm. and that Academy, you know, it only has a specific number of neighborhood kids. That's the only reason I went. Cause I lived in the neighborhood, but I was in honors classes. I had honors, I had, uh, algebra one as an eighth grader and I had, uh, honor science. And I just remember, I'm like, man, where are my homies at? You know? Yeah. I was like, where are my homies at? Like, I'm, I'm just here. Like, I'm the only Hispanic. And then they would want, they would want, the, the white kids would want me to talk like I was in a, in a Spanish soap opera and say, they're like, hola, como estas? You know, they want like, they're like, hey, talk like that. Talk like a Spanish, you know, soap opera and stuff. And so I would do that, right? Yeah. No, not knowing that I was the, the, the brunt the of the brunt joke. The brunt of the joke, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but I was just like, where is it at? Because even with that, even with, even with, putting kids and challenging them and saying, Hey, you know what? Yeah, you can be in honors. I don't care if you're black, but let's be real. It happens like, no, it's oh, going to be too hard. Yeah. Isn't that another, I'm opening up Pandora's Man, box on that one. Right? Yeah. Cause you know, you know how I feel. We've, <laughs> yeah. we've talked about this and, um, and so one of the things, you know, the campus that I'm at now, um, is, you know, mostly black and brown children. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly children who come from a home where English is not the first language. Mm-hmm. Primary language spoken is Spanish for most of our kids. Not all of them, yeah. um, but but most of them. And we, out of the the middle schools in the district right now, um, are maybe one of the only uh, who does not have a National Junior Honor Society. Oh, really? Does not. Oh, wow. Um, there are a couple other programmatic things that are a little bit inequitable mm-hmm. between Um and I don't, it's not one person's fault. It, it's, it's like we've talked about. It's that systematic mm-hmm. that over the years has just not been brought up yeah. because 
not that we tell our kids or not that our campus has said you you can't do it. It's just not what we talk to our kids about usually. Um, But we need to change that. Like you said, you know, we also need to increase our honors numbers at at our campus. I'm at my campus. Challenge them. Challenge them. But it's about how we talk to them and how we talk about them and how we talk to them about their future. Mm -hmm. That's really what is different, has been different over the years in campuses that are predominantly black and brown children is the conversations about futures. Mm -hmm. I love that, man. Is different the the road for for our kids who look like you and i has they've they've been directed this way Mm -hmm. they've been detoured a certain way Mm -hmm. whereas kids and campuses where it's mostly white students Mm -hmm. have been directed a different way it is what it is y'all like that's i mean that's a fact so now it's time to start thinking about we need to start making sure that there's equity across all campuses regardless of demographic on programs Mm -hmm. those are things that administrators at the district level have to have a handle on mm-hmm. have to say i don't know to my knowledge if anybody's ever asked what happened to it because evidently there wasn't a national junior Honor society and then it just went away okay what happened why yeah. is that okay that's yeah. not okay yeah. why are your athletic numbers so low why yeah. are your choir numbers so low that mm-hmm. you only require one teacher whereas other campuses have, have two. two teachers yeah. <laughs> um that kind of stuff so that's one piece of it the other piece of it though is looking at our demographics and making decisions that are best for them so because we have a lot of kids who come from bilingual elementaries right Mm -hmm. they are already working on their biliteracy where Mm -hmm. they are fluent in both predominantly again spanish and english we might start getting some in vietnamese because we have the vietnamese program too but right now mostly spanish why then do i only have one spanish teacher that's true on my campus mm-hmm. when we know I have kids who are taking Spanish five mm-hmm. AP. Mm-hmm. Um, why do I just have that one teacher where I'm trying to cram all of these classes into, into her one, you know, one section of Spanish four yeah. and five and I have to break it down cause she can't have 60 kids. Yeah, yeah. But I know for a fact that we probably have 60 kids mm-hmm. that could test in to Spanish three, four and five. For sure. So it's on both sides. And get sides. some high school credit. And get high school credit and mm-hmm. start detouring them back to, or give them more options. You yeah. know, it shouldn't just be two forks in the road. Yeah. Like there are five or six options for them, but there's no reason why I have a kid who's a fifth grader who's been working in Spanish and English and has mastered mm-hmm. the Spanish level um, star test mm-hmm. in math and or reading. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot harder. Which Spanish is, star is a lot harder. Man. And then I <laughs> come to middle school and then I'm talking about putting you in a math lab class. Yeah. Because English is not, you know, your predominant language. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, no, I'm going to keep you in honors math because you mastered it in Spanish. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to look and see if you can test into a high school class right now. Why why are we not doing that at sixth grade? Because at Austin and at all of these other, you know, magnet, not just in Garland, but in other programs, we're teaching geometry Mm -hmm. to some sixth grade kids. Yeah. Geometry to some seventh grade t- yeah. kids, which means that they're getting pre-cal by the time that they're. Mm-hmm. Why are we not doing that with things um, that will help our kids not only on that track but also on their future track and help build their cultural competency? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, because for so long, black kids and Hispanic kids, Latinx kids, are are told you got to assimilate, you got to assimilate, and part of that. I know from, um, you know, speaking to my other Spanish speaking friends is some of their families that don't learn Spanish, which is ridiculous, <laughs> you know, but it happened. Yeah, right. It happens, I mean, I've yeah. had it, happen, people, it happens and it, it happened and it happened and it happens. Yeah. It's so. And so now we have an opportunity with the knowledge that we have yeah. to not only help them reclaim that on the, on that front. And if we have kids who are in, you know, Mandarin, Chinese and Vietnamese and all of these other languages, Arabic, helping them, but then also say, mainstream is our stream for sure everybody belongs in this in this one pool and that will make things so much better um we will see academic success yeah um if we would just um support these kids where they are and get them um you know get them to where they need to be you know so um it's it's gonna be hard conversations though yeah because i'm talking about money I'm talking about, I want another Spanish teacher. Honestly, I probably need three Spanish teachers (laughs) um, on campus. And I want another choir teacher. And I need somebody to do NJHS. All of these things cost money. (laughs) Um, But you know from being a campus principal, if you look at a budget for a school or a school district, where they put their money, that's what they prioritize. Okay. So if your priority is in athletics... Mm -hmm. All of your money is going to go to athlete, and you will see that on the budget. Like mm-hmm. you will see that on line items. 
our budget needs to be focused on academic success and cultural competencies. Yeah. And making sure that we're spending money on recruiting and hiring Mm -hmm. um, uh, appropriate people and not just going to HBCUs, not just going to Spanish speaking countries Mm -hmm. and getting people, but having a questioning and and a rubric um, for the type of people. I'm glad you said that. Because, I mean, seriously, because we know just every single black educator, every single Hispanic educator, every single white educator is not good for kids or not not in it. And they're not, we're not not all equal. Um, And so making sure that we're getting the best people um, in the right places that, um, that, that can help our kids needs to be, that's where the money needs to be, you know, and then instruction. Definitely. Yeah. So. No, no, tangent. No, no, you're good. This is what it is, No, but you know what? I want to, I want to, want to hit on something that you said because it's about the conversations about the future. So um, last week, like I said, I did, did a virtual keynote, so I was excited about that. But you know, we talked about um, did one for parents, and um, one of the things that we talked about are, are, are the myths or, or, or the lies, right? So here's a myth: like I can't help my student because. You know, I didn't graduate from high school. And most of the time when you're dealing with Latin, you know, your parents or Hispanic parents, you know, that's their, their grade level. Right. With you know, they yeah. didn't go to high school. They didn't even go to middle school. Like my mom, the highest grade she completed was fifth grade. Yeah. And not because, you know, she that's all she wanted to do. That's all she could in her country. You know, like they didn't have money. And so it was like I always tell the students, I'm like, man, you guys get free education, free public education in countries like, you know, Peru or, or Guatemala, where my dad's from, the same thing. Like, if your parents didn't have money, that was it. Fifth yeah. grade was it, you know? And so, but there's that myth. I can't help my, my son or daughter be successful academically because I don't understand the material. I, I never went to college. And then you have, you know, the, the statistics that say, okay, well, if, you're, if your dad or mom are college graduates, then the percentage of you going to college and being successful goes up as well. So we have all these things, right? However, research will show that what's important is, you know, that the parents are involved. Mm-hmm. They communicate with the school. That the parents communicate with their child. And here's what. I'm going to focus on because this is what you said is that the parents are having conversations about the future and expectations with their kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because here's it. Here, here's, here's the thing right here. I'm gonna give an example about my daughter. Um, it's funny how you said that there, there are school districts that are putting, you know, kids like in geometry in sixth grade. So my daughter will be in sixth grade next year. Well, last year, you know, she's in a local school district, a fluent school district here, you know, in the Dallas area. But last year, you know, the, we had a they had a meeting for parents and said, hey, do you want your kids to be on a different path for for math? And by the time they get into sixth grade, they'll be start doing some geometry. But, you know, it's just mm-hmm. it's going to fast track them, basically. Right. And so, heck, yeah, we signed up for her. You know, her mom and I were on board because we know she can do that, yep. even if she didn't believe it. Amen. We know. But that's the conversation piece. Sitting down with Isabella and saying, you can do this. Yep. You know, even even during during, you know, the pandemic, when everything went online, I said, all right. All right, Izzy. I said, uh, I know you're doing your work for, for school, but I got I have a sixth grade book because if you're in fifth grade, you're going to be doing sixth grade. And so I told her this a couple of days ago, I said, I'm going to get a seventh grade book because I want to I want to challenge you. I want yeah. I want you to know that you're capable of doing that. And those are the conversation pieces that sometimes the reality is that our students, the type of students that we work with. Right. And, the, and you know, like I said, the we work with the, with the low income kids, man. And so those kids, they don't have those conversations. But. If those students aren't having those conversations with their parents and not because the parents don't want to, or maybe sometimes the parents don't want to, but sometimes they don't know how Yeah, they don't have that education. They don't have that capital, that cultural capital, which yeah. has nothing to do with money. Then that's where we, that's what I believe strongly. That's where we as educators, we, we fill in those gaps, man. And I don't know, it's very cliche. Yeah. Talk about filling the gaps. Now I'm really filling the gaps and filling the gaps means having these conversations about the future and saying, you know what? You can't do it. Because I know you yeah. tell your son he can do it. I do. I, I know do. you tell your daughter. I tell my daughter. Absolutely. You know, and so here it is. Yeah. But what about the babies who don't hear that? And so fill in the gap. So it is, we need, you know, <laughs> the Joe Clark and Jaime Escalante, um, <laughs> you know, folks to, to come back. But here's here's what I will say about that, too. We are fortunate because when schools have, when our schools have meetings, we're able to go mm-hmm. and we make it a priority because we know that that's what's, what's happening. What I would even stretch to say is for schools that have parents who may not be in traditional type eight to five ish jobs, mm-hmm. make sure that we're offering these meetings, not only at multiple times, but non-traditional times. So one of the things that I did when I was at um, the middle school here in Garland before I came to Bussy 
was I had morning meetings mm-hmm. um, for parents. I tried to record meetings at that time. Now, so now we have Zoom and Google now, Meets. Yeah, yeah. There's no excuse. There's no excuse yeah. um, and make sure that we are offering these times for people to come. And again, I'm going back to my original point. Go talk to these parents and say, we want you to be here. Right? Mm-hmm. right? Because Jaime Escalante and um, Joe Clark, they both went to people's houses. For sure. They yeah. had to yeah. because they believed in those kids. Yeah. And they knew that they needed mom and dad to believe in them too. Exactly. So sometimes the it's not that the parents, it's just that the parents don't know how to. Exactly. Um, and so we, that's where we fill in the gap. Mm-hmm. You know, um, strong African-American, Latino women um, uh, administrators have to fill in that gap by not only pulling, pulling up the kids, mm-hmm. but pulling together the parents mm-hmm. too and saying, hey, I'm with your child for eight and a half hours a yeah. day. I have seen what they can do. Yeah. We really need you to help us make sure that they're there. Or can you sign this? And can we get you there? We're, we're you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so um, I, I take that very, very seriously. Me too. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, I... Uh, I, I think as educators, yeah. we all have to. You <laughs> we know? have to. And, you know, and even, you know, I'll even say this, and I know you feel the same way. Even if you're, even if you're a white educator. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the stories that I always tell in my keynotes, it's, it's how, how I wrap it up and end it. And I talk about my fifth grade teacher who was a, a white lady. Mm-hmm. And yet this white lady, right? You know, if if I if I had the type of attitude that I can't, you know, listen to her because she's white, which some of our students do. They you know, do. They've been trained. They've been trained to think like that. Not only that, they've seen stuff on, on now because of social media. You know, so that shapes their belief system. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's not even parenting. Sometimes it's kind of like, why do you hate police? Oh, it's because of this. Well, have has a police officer ever done this to you? Ex, yeah. You know, anyways, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, but I, I talk <laughs> about you know Mrs. Judy Purvis and, and the impact she had. You know, just with her words. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it shaped my future. Like I have potential. Me. Yeah. This kid who whose father you know is is in and out of jail. This kid whose father was you know physically abusive to his mom this kid whose father was you know drug addict i i have potential because everybody else is saying that i'm going to be like him everybody else is seeing me and saying you're going to be another gangbanger another you know drug addict and yet here's a white teacher telling me that i have potential man life-changing and so that's what i would encourage anybody listening to our podcast like man don't don't (laughs) don't limit a student just because you know he's not he or she, you know, is not the same as you or, you know, didn't grow up the same way. Like, man, all our kids have potential and it's, it's up to us to, to plant those seeds of hope, to plant those seeds that they can be successful. It's, it's up to us to be vulnerable. And you know, sometimes it takes vulnerability Absolutely. and just saying, hey, you know what? I don't know, but I'm, I'm willing to learn, you know, and maybe, you know, it's tough having these discussions about race. But, man, I want to commit myself to learning. I want to commit myself to, to discussing and, and, and doing what I can. Right. So I can be a better educator. Yeah. Because yeah. if not, you know, things are just going to get worse. <laughs> it is. It's it, you know, and um, so like you said, you know, I have just like you had phenomenal white educators yeah. um, who have shaped me and did, you know, ultimately I did make it into both honors, English yeah. <laughs> and Spanish um, because somebody saw it in me. And I have as a teacher and administrator have seen where some of our children have better relationships with their white educator, yeah. teacher than, than even me on some things. Because yeah. again, you know, we're not the children whisperers all the time. Yeah, there, yeah. There's there's going to be a kid that's like, I just, I can't. Yeah, for sure. I can't. <laughs> I know that. I know that. <laughs> we, I know we both that. know that, right? <laughs> um, but I also want to encourage white educators to kind of harness that power and try to be more intentional with it now. Yeah, because I think for most of them, it was just their love of kids, which is number one. Yeah. That helped, you know, I, it may not necessarily be that they completely understood the plight of that child, but they loved that kid, Mm -hmm. you know, that's step one. Now educate yourself about the bigger picture because you're going to have more of these children who are coming to you with these issues and you want to be able to be that person for more than just one. Again, we can't save them all, you know, but you can plant that seed, but you can plant it and knowing if we have a pipeline of educators like when i send kids to high schools 
I know that at, at high schools that I have people with relationships with, there are people there that will take take that kid under their wing. And I've, I've contacted people. Like we had a kid this year, um, eighth grader, who was going to be moving to a different district. She told me which high school she was going to. Mm-hmm. I happened to be friends with the principal at that high school. Oh, awesome. So I called her and I said, hey, this baby is literally a diamond. Like she can do this, this, and this. And I, I asked her, I said, I said, can I send her your picture? She was like, yes, maybe I talked to her mom. I said, hey, I reached out to the principal. I just want her to have her face. Yeah. Um, before she gets there. I, because I had that relationship and I knew what kind of educator was at that next school, mm-hmm. could do that for that child. We need to all have those pipelines. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done that for other students. I had another kid that went to a different district. Um, a white administrator is mm-hmm. in this district. I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I called her and said, hey, this baby is coming. This is what he needs. Da, da, da. Please, I'm going to give his mom your name. When she gets there, get, get them in contact. If we have those pipelines that include everybody, then every, then the kids will get better and the system will get better um, because everybody will end up having somebody yeah. um, and nobody will get you know left in the dust or yeah. in, in the cracks. Um, and I, too, have had white students um, who I've been able to you know, build trust with. Um, and I've had conversations with some of my white students, especially when I worked in the yeah. rural suburban district mm-hmm. that were like... You know, my family, you know, when they talk about black people, like you're not the picture that I get. Exactly. Do you know what I'm saying? And thank you for talking to me. Thank yeah. you for doing this. And that was when I was a high school administrator. Yeah. So having those conversations with everybody yeah. um, is huge. Because like I said, I'm a kid person. I can pretty much talk to kids from two to 18 and mm-hmm. we're going to have something. Um, and I happen to be an African-American woman. Mm-hmm. There might be, and I have a very good friend who's a high school teacher who's got freckles and red hair. She's just as phenomenal. Even I think she's better sometimes with with the kids when I've seen her. Um, and she's she's armed herself with with knowledge and data, but she also loves kids, yeah. and she takes that into her classroom sure. um, every single day. And so it's not just one thing. Yeah. It's not just one voice. It's yeah. not. Um, you know, just one avenue. Yeah, so. definitely, and that's mm-hmm. that's the hope with this with this episode with this podcast. Mm-hmm. And whoever's listening to it, you know, like man, just understand that you you play an, an important role in in doing what you can. You know, as far as having to do with race race issues and and just doing your part and 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 learning and being intentional. I think yeah. I like that you have to be intentional. Uh, the journey it's worth it. Absolutely. You know, the journey to to be intentional. The journey to to find and, and be that positive light is worth it, you know, and, and that's to me, it's what makes education great that regardless of the type of students, because we can't always choose them. We can't, you know, we can't choose the, the, the things that they come with, the situations. And we know how, how heartbreaking some of the stuff is that we've heard, you know, oh, yeah. recently, right? Recently. Yeah. And, and some of the things that even even through this pandemic, like there's students who you know, I guarantee you they're missing meals. I guarantee you they're missing that social support. And yet on the other spectrum, you have kids who are, man, they're, they're living it up and having a good time because they have, their parents have the ability to provide them that lifestyle. And so don't be, you know, don't be foolish in thinking that every child is having the same experience because they're not be knowledgeable, be intentional about it and do your part to support them. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, you got yeah. anything else to say? I love this conversation. I know. This is like great. This, maybe this is, great. this is part one. Maybe this is going to be part one. I was thinking that say, too. I was like, thinking about that too. We need to have a series and yeah. bring in some more, yeah. some more voices. Um, Cause I do want to talk about eventually um, the, the police uh, aspect and, police and schools and discipline yeah, and there's a whole there's a whole bunch of it but for right now it's a good you know what it's a good starter yeah so it'll be part one you know we'll do absolutely. it again yeah like for sure what the appetite yeah, yeah um but for right now for my educators um who who might be listening as you are getting ready to go back into the classroom well the classroom <laughs> <laughs> getting ready for next school year we know that there's going to be kids that need to be educated and what form that is we, we still don't know um just i encourage you to be intentional and think about the kids who are going to be in front of you even if you don't have a roster right now you know the demographics of your school you know that there is a 99 percent chance that you're going to have a child of color mm-hmm. or something like that in your class depending on where you yeah, are depending on where you're at yeah. just start arming yourself with knowledge definitely um refocus on your beliefs and your values um, and start looking at how you run your classroom. 
Um, that letter that you send out at the beginning of the of the year, is there a letter, number one, but that first communication with parents, um, that first communication with kids, how you greet kids mm-hmm. when they come mm-hmm. in, um, the language that you are planning on using um, when addressing the kids. Those are things you can all start looking at now. There's tons of research out there. There's tons of articles out there. Um, so I encourage you guys. Maybe, you know what, we can, yeah. we can bring something. I'm sorry to cut you no, off, but maybe okay. we can bring something, you know, in the next coming weeks about, hey, this is how you can prepare yourself sure. for the first days. Absolutely. Because that's the most, that's the most you know, important part. Absolutely. How you start. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, so just start thinking about that. The internal work um, is probably the hardest work. Yep, um, And so that's where we're at right now. But thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. This As always, good. I loved it. Yeah, for sure. And thank you all for listening to Mission Driven with AC Cristalis. Again, I hope you were able to take some valuable information from this. We'll be back. Definitely. This is definitely part one. So we'll be definitely back for part two. Wish you guys a great, great, great day or night whenever you're listening to this podcast. And as always, faith, hope, love.